Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with Jesus and to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so, so grateful to have you here. Thanks again for joining me today. On today's episode, I'm going to share a conversation I was able to have recently with Brother Josh Carson, and I think you're going to really enjoy the things that he had to share Um, talked about a lot of different topics, and I am very grateful he was willing to take time out of his schedule to join the conversation on Unedited. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And without further ado, here is today's interview with Brother Josh Carson. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing uh, Brother Josh Carson. He is the pastor at Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis, and he serves as the president of the Indiana Bible College. He also previously served as youth president for the United Pentecostal Church International. Um, He has a wife, Rachel, and four kids. And I have personally been impacted by Brother Carson's ministry over the years at different events. And occasionally I'll listen to him uh, just here or there on YouTube. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share his voice with the unedited listeners today. So thank you so much, Brother Carson, for being here. Oh, it's my honor. I'm I'm thankful to be able to be a part of it. Well, thanks again. Um, can you just to get started, share a little bit about your testimony, your background, and your family? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm a Central Illinois boy originally, and uh, was really from small communities, which is kind of interesting. I'm from a blue collar, blue collar um, family and work family, and people typically ask me when they meet me for the first time, if they don't know me, like, so does your dad pastor, where did this originate? And I'm, I just tell them, no, my dad was a welder. Um, I just was called by God as a young country kid is really the truth. I grew up surrounded by corn and beans in an agricultural city. Um, but I'm in, I'm in ministry today, probably as the result of ministry was just honored and respected in our in our home. And I'm so thankful that I lived in a house where when the call of God was placed upon my life, I had a family, although it was different than the way that we had ever served or different than their profession or even calling as it were, uh, they were so supportive to the call of God upon my life. And so um, originally there from central Illinois, and then I I ended up leaving my, my secular college. I had done a couple of years of marketing and and going in. My secular college was all finalized and paid for when the Lord called me to go to Bible college. In fact, um, you know, you mentioned being the president of Indiana Bible College. I attended this Bible college as a student when I didn't even know what the word theology meant. Uh, Somebody asked me if I was going to be a theology major, and I said, I'm not sure what that means, so we'll see. 
uh, <laughs> and now to be the president of the college uh, all these years later. So it's been a full circle. I, I went to college here. I ended up going on staff at a church as a young man to be a youth pastor. And that embarked on what would be a 20-year youth ministry journey um, that culminated there, as you had mentioned, as youth president that was working in St. Louis before I came here and have been the pastor for the last three and a half years at Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis. Such a cool, cool story. So and full circle, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah. as you were sharing that. You go from not even knowing what theology means to now being the president. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your family. I'm assuming you met your wife, Rachel, there while you were at Bible yeah. school. That's just yeah. so neat. So I, I love to tease because, um, you know, I actually went on staff at the church and Rachel was still a student here and I came to recruit teachers for our school. So we have a Christian school in Northeast Ohio and I came to recruit teachers. So I recruited my wife is, is how that, how that ended up happening. Um, but the funny thing was I, Rachel and I were friends and the pastor asked me um, about her when she applied. And I, he said, do you think that she's coming here for, for you? And that was an interesting question, right? But I was a young man. He wanted to make sure were my motives pure? Were her motives pure? And I said, hey, absolutely. Rachel and I were buddies. That's not, well, the Lord had other plans. Uh, long story short, about a year after that, we started dating and um, one thing led to another. And here we are now. Wow. You want to talk about really full circle, I guess, saying this out loud while we're talking. Now, our son is a student here at Indiana Bible College, about to turn 20 years old. Um that makes me sound a little older than the young guy who was recruiting teachers, but that's, that's where things are. Well, that was a successful uh, recruitment. <clears throat> it was a great kitchen, recruitment. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we have four, we have four kids. Kanan is our oldest. He's about to turn 20. Uh, and then we have Carver who is 16 and uh, legally able to drive. God help us all uh, to do good on that training. He's an amazing young man, but um, he's now driving, which makes me feel old and nervous, uh, all at the same time. Cadence is our only girl. She is about to turn, um, 15. And then our youngest is Kason, and he is 11, uh, going to be 12 in, uh, November. So yeah, our, our quiver is full. Oh, that's so fun. I know four kids counts as a big family in this day and age, and I'm sure you guys have, have a great time. Um, I know you already shared. Oh, yeah. I I imagine lots of memories. Um, I was just gonna ask. I know you had really kind of talked a little bit about your journey into ministry already, feeling supported by your family when you felt called. Can you just tell a little bit about about how you felt called, how that sort of unfolded, and how Bible reading and prayer and daily disciplines have been a part of of that journey in your life. Awesome question. So I felt called to preach when I was young. We lived in Texas when I was just a young kid. And I can go, man, to the spot, Cleburne, Texas. Shout out to Brother Ashley, uh, Bible preaching church, man, just great preachers. I was just a young guy, but worship was encouraged. The call of God was encouraged. And I felt that as a young man. But what I would attribute my teenage years to starting accept that call of God was an incredible youth pastor mm. who made a focus on the word of God. 
I didn't know Bible quizzing existed until my teenage years. I wasn't from a church where that was culture. We had come back to Illinois. We're in central Illinois. And it was nothing about the church. They just didn't have a culture of Bible quizzing. But Bible uh, quizzing started to be established. I had a youth pastor that was very hands-on. He would talk to me extremely strategic about prayer and prayer life. And youth prayers were shaping me. Our Tuesday night youth prayers some of the greatest growth of all of my life was happening during those Tuesday night youth prayers. Small town, small community, our opportunity to come together was not um, bothered because of the ability to travel there. You're talking, uh, you know, it's like two minutes to get across the whole town. So Tuesday youth prayer was easy to make happen. And we'd be there together praying and his love for the word of God, my youth pastor's love for the word of God coupled with becoming a part of this Bible quiz program, all culminated together. I've still got this statement that's coming up, so I'll, I'll share it right now. I was just a, a 16-year-old kid, and I remember I left my Bible at church, and my youth pastor handing me this Bible and telling me, he said, when I found your Bible lying here left at church, I walked to the sanctuary for an hour, praying a love for the word of God into you. Wow. Here I can remember that all these years later and trying to help shape others. Um, and so when I look at that and I, I think about what that was placing into my life, that daily relationship with God, talking to God. And I think I built that at some level, but it wasn't until my early 20s that I really learned the value of daily disciplined prayer. Uh, I've had a lot of teenagers ask me, what do you wish you would have got a hold of earlier? I would have, I wish I would have been honest about the fact that I do better in structure. So mm -hmm. I need structure to be successful. Um, I have somewhat of a, I like structure anyway, maybe more of a learned trait, but I really love structure. Um, but in, in order for me to function well, I also have a very creative mind. So to do well, I need structure for my creativity to flourish. And so I pray through the tabernacle plan. I found that um, concept, that plan in my early 20s. And when I found that, it helped change the way that my daily disciplines were working. Um and so to think on any level that I've been able to be a part of and serve in the capacity that I have without daily regiments of devotion, it just would be completely false. I, I learned it at a young age, and it became these bite-sized morsels that I think I really grabbed a hold of in my early 20s. And I think I think between that time and now, I've been able to grow in what is the difference between like intercession prayer versus just being in devotion and waiting on the Lord. What does it mean to read your Bible to get a thought versus what does it mean to read your Bible to grow? Mm. And I, I remember being taught here at Indiana Bible College if you're just reading your Bible like a textbook to get a thought, then you're not a, you're using it for a different benefit, but it's supposed to be growing you. And how can you help grow people unless the word is growing you? Mm. And so the bulk of my preaching 
um, honestly, is just the result of prayer and devotion. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And that that is, you know, to hear you say that, that's why your ministry has blossomed, has grown over the years, why people that you will never meet, like me, are typically, and we're meeting here, but sure. are impacted by it. It's that residual effect of the word of God and that discipline that's been so strongly established in your life. Um, <laughs> how did you say that last line again? I started you know, reaching I, I, over I, I, it before I, you. <laughs> who knows? I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how I said, I just, I was saying that the bulk of my preaching is the result of devotion, you know, personal devotion. And honestly, I think God also put strategic people in my life to help make that be the case. And it's been different people at different times that have helped shape that. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think a big part of your daily devotion in prayer and Bible reading is also part of the way that gets played out is the people that you allow into your life. Because that word challenges that in who those those close voices are. And those close voices have helped shape me. In fact, probably the first person I ever heard say anything similar to that is who has become probably my best friend is a, a guy by the name of Aaron Bounds, very familiar uh, probably to a lot of your listeners. And he's my closest friend uh, in the world, I'd say, in regards to especially talking ministry and life. And so that relational value helped yield some things that were necessary to be uh, normative in my life, to be a spiritual leader. Mm. That is all so good. Um, one thing I've heard, I remember Brother Bounds, this is random, but just something he said at NAYC a couple of times is we won't, in Elisha's day, he had to pour what was precious on the altar and water was what was precious in those days. And if we're going to see revival in our day, we have to pour time on the altar. I've been so impacted by that statement. Um, just so cool. And it, is, and it is who he is. I mean, it, it it's one thing to know someone publicly. It's another thing to know someone privately. And probably why we, I have such affection for him is based around. And even in a moment like this on a podcast, why I'm enjoy to talk about someone else who he is privately, you know, that's who his character. That's what he is. I don't know anyone that in, enjoys just time with God more. Mm, what a compliment. What a compliment to be to say about somebody. Um, so clearly daily disciplines is really the basis, the foundation of your ministry at, at the end of everything I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Um, what would you say to a young man or a young woman who's aspiring to ministry? I know you kind of answered the question about structure. You would have grabbed on <laughs> the structure sooner. Yeah. Um, but I, would, in general. I would move forward in that just a little bit. Um, in the conversation of voices. First, let me say, I, I try to live by this principle, structure and oil. So I love the menorah when you consider the tabernacle. And I say it this way, I have many times and I'll continue to, um, as long as I get the opportunity, consider the menorah or the candlestick as, as you may would call it. Um, so without the oil, it's just a beautiful piece of structure. It's furniture, right? without that, without that oil, though, it's just structure. It's like it, it has purpose, but it can't fulfill it. 
The same thing would be true about the oil. The oil without the structure is honestly, it's a puddle on the ground. Mm. It has all the potential. And I could honestly tell you, I've been to both of those churches. <laughs> mm. I, I've visited those churches. And if I could maybe go, since we're having a personal conversation and the listeners that maybe you're tuning into this, let's take that away from the church and ask you about you. Are yeah. you the person that, man, you're really structured, but the oil side of your life is lacking? Or maybe you're that person that you almost, I don't want to say you're you're proud of it, but maybe you just relish the thought that you're a super spiritual person. Great, but are you a structured person? Because the dynamics of this biblically is that you need both. And if it wasn't the case, then we wouldn't spend all the time we do in apologetics talking about the way things synchronize. And if structure wasn't necessary, we would have needed no tabernacle. Let's work forward into the people. We would have needed no prophets. Why do? We, what is this strength about when we speak to the life of Christ? Where do we go first? We start talking about the exodus of Moses and his leadership out of Egypt. Then we end up with the majors like Isaiah and talking about the prophetic promise of a Savior. We walk to Malachi in order for us to strengthen the, our relationship with Christ. We talk about the structure of an angelic visitation to Mary. It, it all flows together. And so to the young person that's listening, I would say, please stop thinking that it's one or the other. And even maybe to the elder, if I could maybe teach an old dog new tricks here for a moment, it's not one or the other. Either you're structured or you're spiritual. It's both. Mm -hmm. You've got to have both. And well, if you're not that person, get people in your life that help you be both. That's very good. That's very good. I I love that. Um, we need an ordered life. God is a God of order. And yet yeah, it's ordered life that's animated by the spirit of God. Um, it's not dry, rigid structure. Like you said, I've never thought of a menorah like that or heard anybody say that. That's, that is very, very cool. Um, you know, just kind of flowing out of that question, that's something you would say to somebody, I guess, kind of across the board, aspiring to ministry or younger, older, it really fits all of our lives. You are um, heavily involved in ministry, pastoring a large church and all the other roles that you fill, teaching and other things. What do you think is the key to avoiding burnout? Um, and how do you find balance with your family? Kind of a two-part question. I think ministry can sometimes... Yeah suck everything out of us if we allow it to. It, it really can. I will tell you, there's nothing back to the devotion. There's nothing you're going to find in your life that's going to fulfill you like your daily devotion. It's just necessary. So you've got to have it, right? You know, you. you I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, um, to all the listeners, though, that are out there. And then the second thing, actually, uh, a person that challenged my thinking in this was uh, Pastor Aaron Soto. Um, he actually challenged my thinking in a in a random conversation one time where he asked me, what puts virtue into you? Mm. And uh, I, I had only ever heard virtue talked about through spiritual, <laughs> like prayer, fasting, and, and he kind of challenged that in, in, no, in the God design of you, what places that you go, what areas that you visit, 
what things that you do help put virtue into you. So I want to answer the burnout question by telling you, I, I'm very structured. My executive assistant um, would tell you there's a different purpose to every day in my life. Um, I'm guarded. I'm guarded with who gets my time on every day of the week. Now, the average listener out there, you might be thinking, well, that's great. You have an executive assistant. Good for for you. I don't get that (laughs) privilege. And so I'm going to tell you the truth is um, I was trying to do this before here. I just work in a unique dynamic right now, but the same principle was true before. And it was a learned growth um, structure for me to where maybe every day doesn't have a different purpose, but how do you break up your hours? How do you look at your time? And if you're one of those people that are thinking, I'm too busy for devotion, you need to listen to me. You're too busy not to have devotion. You've got to have devotion in Mm -hmm. order for your day to start well and to flow well. Now, I'm not one of those people that's going to tell you you've got to be up at 5 a.m. I hope that's not contradictory to anything the podcast is trying to do. Um, But you need to do devotion based on when it works within your God design and who you are. We need creatives, we need administrators, we need, and we can run the gauntlet. But a way that I avoid burnout is A, with that devotion. The devotion is my consistent part of any day, regardless of what else hits my schedule. So mm-hmm. even though I'm going to talk to different tiers of leaders, I'm going to talk to different, um, my grad my grad work is emphasis in counseling. And so I have one day a a week that I schedule anywhere between 12 and 15 meetings. And I go back to back in counseling sessions. And it's a part of the way I process one day a week. The way that I'm able to do that, obviously that flows out of devotion, personal conversation. And then I find pockets in between where me and God are just talking. I really try to do that with my life where I'm always under the breath, having a little conversation with the Lord. And the truth is just because I need it. I just need it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that structure then is the way I have to guard. Am I being a good husband? Am I being a good father in a, in a job like I have, and probably like most of your listeners, you could just structure your life till there's no room for margin. Mm -hmm. Um, We try strategically, we structure margin into my week so that there is availability and allowance so that if I, maybe I'm taking a hit, even though I've, I've done everything I can to strategically prepare, maybe I'm taking a mental hit. Now with some of the meetings we have, that's going to happen. Something comes out of left field, something, um, you know, you weren't expecting a, a session to go this way or the information that's shared. So you might need a mental reset. So we strategically build that in. But the same way, I do my best to make sure my family, um, my family gets the best of my time, not just the rest of my time. Um, and how that works for me is by the counseling. And my wife has to have the ability. I'm I'm really blessed because we're talking about devotion. Uh, she is. I'm just going to go on record. She's better to interview on the prayer and the devotion. No one thunders and prays like Rachel Carson prays. It's just that I know or that I've ever met. Um, no one works a prayer journal like she does. Um, I I can't even get into that. So that's a benefit for me. 
but the way that we work off of one another, she understands what my job necessitates and we work that together. And she has the ability to challenge me and challenge my calendar. I live a life where, where my calendar can be vetoed by two other people in order to guard me. And so I would tell everyone listening, if there's no one in your world that can veto your calendar, you're living in dangerous territory. Mm. You're on the on-ramp to burnout. And I'm also would say this, in order for me to guard my family time, in order for me to guard my private time, um, even just recreation time, what does it mean? You know, on that question, what puts virtue into you? So for me, it's going to a park or going to the woods. Uh, what does that look like? Um how do I structure that in? Even at my best efforts, there might be times and pockets of burnout where then I have to ask myself, who are the players in my life that are given the relational nutrients? John Townsend has a pretty great book um, about that called People Fuel, where he, he really deals with relational nutrients and the people in your life. Um, and so between my devotion with God, my clear-cut time with my family, and then those individuals in my life that I keep close, um, that's where I'm drawing the consistency. So much, so much in that answer that I would love to kind of circle back on. Um, first of all, can you schedule me an interview with your wife? I want to talk to her about her yes, prayer journal. Yes. She might kill me, but I will talk to her about it. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of being silly on that, but I would absolutely love to talk about it. Um, is there a book? Like I know some of what you're talking about with guarding your calendar and structuring your time and time management. Is there a book or books that you have found helpful when it comes to that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, you know, ordering your private world is a great book to look at there. Wayne Cadero's book, Leading on Empty, just amazing. Uh, that's something I would look at for sure. If you even if you even think you have the potential for burnout and you have any aspirations to ministry whatsoever, that's an amazing book. And then on the relational one, just because I think it's challenging, uh, I'm not saying it's the most well-written book, but I am saying the principles are challenging and necessary is, is People Fuel, the one I mentioned a moment ago as well. So those are three that would would really help you. Okay. I'm, I'm literally re-listening to ordering your private world right now. Just, it's such a good book. So many basics that, um, Mr. McDonald covers in that. Yep. I want to kind of try, there was really so much in there. I feel like we could spend an hour just on that last question and you have so much good insight to share on that, but I do want to transition a little bit to talking about student ministries. Obviously you spent, like you said, 20 years in student ministry. That's a long time. I'm sure, sure you've seen things evolve and change over that time. What would you say is the greatest danger to our apostolic students and young adults and um, the greatest threat? And then also, what do you think is the greatest opportunity that they have? Yeah, our greatest, the truth is probably our greatest threat is um, digital, mm. it's the digital bombarding, it's the marketing of evil. That's not a new concept, but it's the, um, really when it comes to Christian lifestyle, it's the, um, it's this, uh, attack against masculinity and the order of the home. 
it's probably the greatest threat to this generation because this generation is honestly the generation that's going to decide where they hold the line um, on the true order of home and what it means in the church. And they're, they're being constantly, consistently bombarded with these winds of false doctrine to compromise. I do not think our greatest attack against this generation is um, will they believe the doctrine of the oneness or uh, salvific necessity and, and what that looks like in repentance and baptism and being filled with the Holy Ghost or being a witness. I think I, I think they are strong there and we have the tools to facilitate that. But the same tools are the same uh, things that are very dangerous with idle time. And so our greatest issue in the church today, I think there's no close second in most counselors across our movement um, in the Pentecostal ranks or apostolic movement, both uh, both generally and more specific would tell you pornography and digital assault is the number one issue, um, not just with this generation, but multifaceted generation. The average kid is being exposed between the ages of 10 and 11 because we don't have enough parents that will recognize their 10 year olds don't need cell phones. Um, and so we're dealing with this, this generation being hit in the face with what is right, what is wrong. Um, and yet I would say their greatest strength is that they have, I do believe they have a love for God and they have access to tools like never before the ability to find, to harness, to study and to facilitate ministry there's never been a greater there's never been a greater moment in history we have to be challenged by what would paul have done with the internet mm. we have to be challenged by that um and so the strength is that they're so educated they're so talented they're so gifted right now so you made mention of uh, i pastor a church and and um in a in a city of our size it's, it's only a fraction of where we should be, but we're doing everything we can. But our generation that's reaching for them, we have an incredible visitor rate at Calvary Tabernacle. But eight out of 10, our data says eight out of 10 of those visitors come as a result of our social media. Wow. So that shows the transition to the strengths of the current generation. But isn't it amazing that some of the same giftings that are the strengths of this generation that they're able to take their apostolic, their love for doctrine, their purity for wanting to please the Lord. And it's the same thing that can also be the idle combatant or even the snared combatant against who they are in their identity. You know, I've often said um, our, our phones and social media isn't a, it's a stanza in the devil's lullaby. We can't preach against it. Great, great I mean, we, I shouldn't say we can't preach against it. We often don't. It's not something that's inherently evil because it's a tool that can be used for good or for evil, sure. but it is, it's like you said, it's the wholesale sale of evil or the, um, promotion of evil selling of evil. And it's also just the huge time waster. That's it. How easy is it to burn away 30 minutes, an hour where we could have talked to God, read our Bible, taught a Bible study, served some soup to somebody and just a million things we could have done with that time. 
but it's just so easy to waste it. So it, it is really interesting. I find that fact so fascinating that eight out of 10 of your guests are um, driven there by social media. That's really, really interesting. Um, some of it could be geography. Some of it could be where we live, but honestly, some of it is just because we invest there. Okay. You know, I, I, we, and again, I'm probably a creative by nature. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I'd want to be doing marketing. It's just, um, that's not what God called me to do, except for he did in some way. He called me to market the gospel, I guess, maybe on some level. But one of my first hires here was a creative lead because we're setting in a community that the way they receive data is through social media. And honestly, it's the world we're living in now. So I know it might not be that way for every church or every community, but uh, it's if you're not tapping into what your website and what your social media, I still get comments every now and then like, I don't know that that matters. Well, welcome to 2023. It matters. Yeah, I agree that the digital face the church has <laughs> does matter. We we here at Christian Life Church, we too have a lot of people who will say, we, we Googled you, we found you online, we found your website. Um, so that is really important. It kind of goes back to that structure side of things you were talking about too. You know, in Acts, where we see that explosive growth was when they organized, when when there was that structure. And I think having a good presentation, there's nothing wrong with it. it and it's like you said, you're seeing results from it. We're getting people into apostolic environments, into the presence of God. People will always, almost always, I say always, it's a stretch maybe. So let's go with almost always. There's integrity in it, but they will almost always walk through your digital door before they walk through your physical door. And yeah. if you don't, the elders would have said, we would have said it this way, spiritually and biblically to be above reproach, right? Don't let your good be evil spoken of. And I don't want to be stretchy at all with the context. I understand what that's saying, but I want to take that principle and apply it to people have these misconceived ideas about what happens within our church. Mm. Social media has given you the opportunity to show them exactly what happens in your church. That's a good point. You you have the ability to erase the false narrative of some weird experience they had with church 25 years ago, or they got drug into some Pentecostal church 32 years ago, and it was the weirdest experience of their life. And so now when they see your church, that's still the worldview or the context that they filter it through. You may be one strong social media post away from letting them know it's nothing like they're false. So does that make sense? Yeah, that makes what... sense. That makes sense. I really, I really like that. <clears throat> um, and so we're just talking about going back to that question of the greatest threats, greatest opportunities. And you're kind of saying it's a double-edged sword because the greatest threat is technology, social media. And one of our greatest opportunities on the other side is social media. And I think if I had to put a different word on it, it would be maybe complacency. You know, it would be that Mm. when they get idle. So, so an idle mind has always been a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up being told to, Idle minds, the devil's playground. We heard that. No doubt you heard that. And here we are, this generation, 
an idle an idle mind is a surfing mind mm-hmm. and and so you're right you can look up and you lost 47 minutes to instagram or tiktok or youtube or whatever their drug of choice is right and it's the statistics show just how addictive our phones can be um, as di- addictive as a drug essentially it is and we'll pray for people that are addicted to drugs but we won't be honest about the addiction to facebook mm-hmm. and it's a challenge it is a challenge. It's a challenge in my own life. I did an episode kind of for myself. Your iPhone is your enemy because I find, you know, how easy is it for your iPhone? We wouldn't bring somebody else into our prayer closet, right? But that's right. It's easy to answer a text in your prayer closet. It's something yeah. we all have to learn to manage. It's a tool and tools yeah. can be used for good or for bad. A, um, little, a little tool on that just to say, and this probably came up in that session, but my encouragement, if you have to take your phone because it's where you put your notes or it's your structure, and it's simple and a little bit cheesy, but you can put it on airplane mode. Just consider whether you want this prayer time to get off the ground, whether you mm. want there to be any any level, you know. Uh, and so put it into airplane mode. Plan on getting somewhere in this time. That is good. I love that. Put it in airplane mode. Do you plan for that prayer time to get off the ground? That That's incredible. Um, I want to just talk ab- about um, a sermon I heard you preach this, I think it was earlier this year at WINS conference called Loose Him and Let Him Go. And obviously there have been masses of people that have exited um, churches, exited the apostolic church for whatever reason over the years. And I am personally believing for a great revival. I know many people are, and I believe we're going to see a great harvest of backsliders. I have a prodigal myself and um, it's, it's very, it's a very touching topic to me, but I was just wondering if you could just kind of touch on that. Um, how do you see the role of the church in a revival of prodigals and backsliders? Absolutely. You know, ye who are spiritual restore such a one. I spoke on it again last night to our men. I think if the church cannot restore, we have to be... I'm a, let me say it this way. I'm afraid we use the word revival without recognizing what the word revival means. Mm. Revival at its core and at the root word, it, to revive is a reviving of. What, what is the reviving of? Yeah, it's of the church, but members of the church who walked away, we have the incredible New Testament opportunity to look at the prodigal son. Um Notice it did not call him the backslidden son, although that could have been used. It was the prodigal son. And the word used there, prodigal, simply means wasteful. And the most important thing that was being wasted was not money, but it was the father's love. And it was the time that was being wasted. And so, but the the text there is trying to illustrate for us, you've got to love people home. I've never in, in all of my years of seeing prodigals come back to the Lord I've never had a prodigal tell me anything different than the first step back was the toughest. As a part of that, I've had, I could not keep count. And how many have said to me, here's the deal. I wasn't concerned with if God would forgive me. I was concerned with if the church could forgive me. Mm -hmm heard a recent story about a church where prodigal showed up after being gone for a long period of time 
And the statement they were greeted with by one of the ministers was, I knew you should have been baptized twice. I find myself thinking, what a ridiculous statement. How hurtful, how emotionally damaging the prayers of some mother, some father, some sibling all have to go through the grinder of some statement like that. And you have an individual, how hard it is for them to begin to walk back. So I think the church has to, A, I think we have to accept it's a part of our purpose. Mm-hmm. It, if it's a part of the father's purpose, it better be a part of our purpose because yes. he came to seek and to save the lost. That was the purpose. Mm-hmm. He didn't come for the whole came for those that needed a physician. That's what the church is. The church is meant to be a place. And, and on, on the side of that, I think there does have to be training. How do you love people back in? What does it look like? They've been gone for many years. And if you're not careful, you're more concerned with their attire or their demeanor than you are the condition of their hurt or the condition of their heart. And I think loving people back in is allowance. I'll tell you what would help almost every person. Just think about prodigals. And I'm sorry, because this is probably sensitive based on what you just said. But think about prodigals as if they were your family or as if they were your own. If we could universally love prodigals in such a way, it would make a big difference. So we have had some amazing things happen over the last few weeks. We haven't had anything more amazing than last week, not at the main campus, but at one of the daughter campuses, there were five prodigals in service. That's a huge win. That's a huge just astronomical win, to be honest, but it doesn't happen if we're not intentional about it, make room for it. Um, Yeah. So I think we have to be intentional about it. I think part of that comes back to the structure and oil concept. Are we structured to let people come home? Mm. Yeah. I, I was away um, from the apostolic faith for a, a while in my young adult life. And I know personally how hard it is to walk the road home. Um, and the church I'm a part of Christian life church here in Mequon, this church, it was much smaller. I've been here for 22 years now. God has done such an incredible work in my life. Bible reading and prayer were the key God used to heal my heart, but it was also the church and this church loved me. I am a product of what you're saying, loving people home. And, um, it is definitely a passionate topic for me because like I said, I have my own, own prodigal he's going to come back um just looking down the road every day but um i I do think the preparation portion there and keep talking that way yeah always keep talking that way and and you know maybe just as someone who's watching it here on a weekly basis with prodigals i i encourage parents talk that way love that way Mm. as a parent you don't have to enable what they're doing to still be able to love them back Amen. I have parents that always feel like, man, I don't know how to have this conversation. Do I, I don't want them to feel like I'm supporting what they're doing, but I don't want them to feel like I'm against them either. And what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Love them by loving God. 
be be consistent. The number one thing you can do, I think, is be home when they get there. When they decide to come back to the father's house, they should know, man, there was a robe waiting on me. There was a ring waiting on me. There was a there was a calf that's been being fed every single day. We've been waiting to celebrate you home. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. One of the things I pray, sorry to keep telling you random things. I typically don't do this, but um, I pray that our church will be a church that rolls out the red carpet for backsliders. That we, we will, like you said, just be prepared um, with the party, ready, ready for them to walk home and just praying for people that have been gone 50 years. 60 yeah, years. Absolutely. You no, know, God wants to kind of how you're talking about how guests have that preconceived idea. I yep. think there's a lot of people who need to have the script rewritten of what the church 100%. perception of what the church was, or maybe what their true experience was, but God yep. wants to do a new thing. Church hurt is a real thing. Let's be honest. Okay. Church hurt was a, it's a real thing. People have been wounded. So some walked away for frivolous reasons. Others walked away for what could be and probably have been validated by friends, maybe others that have walked away or even counselors on a couch somewhere have been validated for why they walked away, but still have this nagging in their heart that they want to be ready eternally and so let me let me couple it with something we talked about earlier. You're talking about rolling out the red carpet. One way to let this be known, social media, website, your clips. When someone celebrated home, let me ask this. Are they good enough to make the website? Are they good enough to make the social media clip? Because that person that had been gone for the last 15, 20, 30 years, now all of a sudden they're a smiling face. That does a lot more to minister to other prodigals that have questioned whether or not they could ever be welcomed home Mm. than maybe just one more post of the pastor or the youth pastor. Mm. And so strategic and creative thinking who we celebrate. There was no, there was no mistaking in the story of the prodigal son. There was no mistaking in that story who the star that day was. When the older son was bothered and there seemed to be this sense of contention, frustration, he said, wait a minute, my son was dead and he's home. This is all about him. And and I think we need portions of our service that we don't apologize the way that we celebrate prodigals home. We, we, we throw the party, the parties for them. Yes, for for new individuals, but also for prodigals just the same. So do you actually in your services celebrate that publicly? We and- we do we we do. Now we don't name them. Okay. We do we do celebrate restoration. Okay. All Absolutely. right. I was just kind of curious how that actually played out. So let me give you a personal. I'll give you a personal from two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, the Lord really touched our service. We had several people that were filled with the Holy Ghost and several people that were renewed. So at the conclusion of that service and the start of another, I shared without names a couple of stories and testimonies. One of them was from an individual. And I said, a gentleman that was restored told me, I've been away from the Lord for eight years. 
and I walked in so depleted. And yet the touch of the Holy Ghost and the renewing of his spirit and the love of this church, he said, the warmth I feel. And so I just told what I did for him was told, I told this guy in front of everybody without calling him out, the words you just spoke to me were good enough to be broadcasted to everybody. Mm. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And that so honors the heart of God. I love how you said, if it's his mission, it's our mission. When you think about what he said, Luke four. Has to heal be. The, yep. Heal the broken heart, bind up the wounded. Sure. The captives, the, it's just, and, and those that have gone astray. So thank you for all that you shared on that. Um, I think that is so important. And you talked about how revival is reviving um, kind of mm-hmm. hand in hand with that. I just want to ask you a question. How do you feel, um, Bible reading and prayer and falling in love with our Bibles could affect the apostolic movement. I know that we've talked about it in your life and in somebody aspiring to ministry, but how would it just change the face of our movement if everybody's life was built on the foundation of the word, like you're telling us yours is? Every church, every church in every city would look different if we could change one major dynamic, and that's to actually get the Bible opened at home. Wow. We have created this we have created this culture where we break the bread communal. But honestly, think about it. In our average and, and we need preaching. It's necessity. It's chief for us, the foolishness of preaching. That's what the Bible says. It's absolute necessity. And I don't want anyone to ever be able to take a sound bite and contradict what I'm saying because it's necessity. But the average message reads a handful of verses. Rarely do we just even in our services open up and read an entire chapter even at a time. And so when it comes to, I'll say it this way, I teach this in youth ministry and I'll try to tie these thoughts together. The average youth pastor, let's say in a perfect world, he can keep your young person's attention for 40 minutes. Stats say, yeah, right. Even on a collegiate level, Postmodernity has brought us to a place where we need as speakers a new emotional hook every two minutes to re-engage individuals listening. So take that and now put that through your teenager, but say in a best case scenario, now we know there's going to be Christmas week, there's going to be Thanksgiving week, there's going to be spring break week, but perfect world, 52 weeks uh, a year, 40 full minutes of comprehension Bible teaching. That's perfect world. Adults, we're not far behind that, maybe double it. But in that scenario, out of 365 days, that means there's less than 1.5 days of teaching. Think about that. And we wonder why we struggle when the bulk of our Bible consumption is only through the preaching at church or the teaching at church. So as a pastor, that's why we try to teach at Calvary through a curriculum that brings the whole, we use God's word for life. We try to bring the whole church in on the same stories, discussion guides, trying to get the Bible home. It doesn't matter how antiquated or old it makes you sound. Do devotion with your family at home. I'm not saying you have to be reading chapters at a time, but break the bread together 
find books that work. There again, coming back to there's never been more tools. There's never been more opportunities. You say, well, I don't know what to read each day. Maybe you're still that person listening that you've opened your Bible with your eyes closed and put your finger down and hope that the Lord's going to lead you to the right place. Download something like YouVersion or Blue Letter and, and go to one of the hundreds, if not thousands of daily devotional opportunities and grow into that place to where your daily devotion can happen. Just get the Bible as a part of your life, not just a part of your church. I think probably the biggest reason we struggle to be the church is because the church is geographical for us. The church is where we go more than who we are. And, and that's the result of we, we do Bible there in a Mm -hmm. communal setting. That's so good. And I think so many people live in starvation mode. If you only ate three meals a week, you know, most devoted Christians go three times a week. You would be so unhealthy. You'd be starving to death. And we have think about, think about uh, based on what you just said, our current um, cross the line Christian model in the most recent, this is from a book published 2023. The recent standard for, for statistics on a devout Christian is someone that attends at least three times per month. Wow. That's literally starving to death. So that's a whole lot lower than three times a week. Um, I love how you said that every church in every city would change if we did one thing, open the Bible at home. And that's, that's my great passion. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Um, in closing, is there anything else that you would like to touch on or circle back on or anything else you'd like to share with the unedited listeners? I think I would just, in conclusion, I would just say really in this prayer, this devotion, be honest about your friend group. Be honest about the voices of influence in your life. If you're the most spiritual person in your entire group, you need to broaden your group a little bit. If there's no one in your life that's challenging you to be better, um, if you always have to be the smartest person in your group, you always have to be the most spiritual person in your group. No one's challenging you. Or if you say, well, the person that challenges me is my pastor. And I, I usually get to meet with him about once every two months. <laughs> You've got to up the ante on your people group, on the people that first of all are speaking into your life, but then ask yourself this question. Whose life am I speaking into? And I'm not talking about because you're a manager at work or you're a Sunday school teacher at church. I'm asking in your day-to-day, the discipleships parts of your life, who challenges you, who speaks into your life, but who are you challenging and speaking into? Because you'll find the weight and the responsibility of that on both sides helps make you a more well-rounded Christian, more well-rounded individual And these things, the Bible reading, the prayer, the daily devotional, uh, all the way from simple devotion into maybe message or teaching prep, all those things, uh, they're prompted along by the people that God puts into our life. And not just that he puts in our life, but that we allow into our life. So do an evaluation of that. Make sure. And if they're not there and you're struggling to make friends I would, I would take that to prayer. Mm. Um, make that a part of your prayer. 
that's good. If you're struggling to make friends, take it to prayer and learn. That's something we can all grow in, right? Read a book. What, what, why am I struggling to make friends? Be honest about it. Maybe you have a personality. Well, guess what? God made us all so different. You've probably got some people out there that your personality, maybe it's a little quirky. Well, guess what? God's got people out there that would fit that mold. Um, but I think a lot of that is just being vulnerable, being honest, being open. Um, and I, I can feel it now. Some of you introverts that are listening, like, oh, I don't want to, I need just my one or two people. Well, you know, Jesus felt like he needed 12 and he was completely. So maybe you can at least expand it to a few more, a few more people. <laughs> I love that. I hate that when people say, I just need one person. I'm like, no, that's not how God made you. You need that's right. body. You need, you need yeah. a good support system. Well, thank you so much for everything you shared. I'm just truly so grateful. And my pleasure. My pleasure. A pleasure to have you on unedited. Well, I appreciate I appreciate the efforts and and all that you're doing to serve the kingdom in this. Honestly, this way is what we're talking about. It's digital. It's the it's the day we're living in. And to anybody that listens to this before you close it out, I want you to know God, God has designed you for such a time as this. And he longs for your communication with him. Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much to Brother Carson for everything that he shared in today's conversation. I pray that this conversation blessed and encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit megunedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy, happy, amazing Friday.